0: Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey.
1: A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high-profile and under-the-radar cases from around the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia, and our guest this week is Amanda Lamb, who is a crime reporter an author of crime books and of children's books. I hope those two never intersect. <laughs> right, right, for sure. And thanks for to, having me. Oh my gosh, we're so happy to have you. Tell us a little bit about um, where you cover crime. And I, I know that you're sure. a reporter and, and you cover your area, you know, doggedly.
2: Well, I've been a reporter here at WRL in Raleigh, North Carolina for, gosh, 26 years now. And most of that time I have covered crime, but I really started focusing on that about 17 years ago. So I cover everything from the crime all the way through the investigation, all the way through the trial. So not unlike you, Anna, I've had that opportunity to kind of see the criminal justice system from the very beginning and taking it all the way through to the, to the resolution. So I've had the opportunity to connect with so many people in the criminal justice system over the years, whether it's victims, families, defendants, families, lawyers, judges, obviously investigators, and, you know, it just kind of, as you know, becomes a lifestyle and you get the opportunity to kind of see these cases all the way through. And I've had the opportunity to do that for many, many years. I also write true crime books. And I'm working on a couple of true crime podcasts now.
1: That's fantastic. That's great. Well, we've got um, two cases for you this week. One is personal to me, kind of like you. This is a case that I covered. Um, and there's been a massive development in the case. It was an unsolved disappearance, if you will, but a presumed homicide. So so for me, it's it's a tough one. These are the two cases that we're going to look at this week. The body of a professional poker player was found burned in a Michigan parking lot and now a suspect has been arrested and there are new details on what happened to her. But first, the nephew of a man who went missing three years ago has been arrested by homicide detectives. 24-year-old Daniel Searsen was arrested on July 31st on suspicion of murdering his uncle, William Searsen. This is a major break in this unsolved California case in fact, we still do not have a body. When Will Searzan disappeared, we have yet to find anything of him. And this is a cold case that I covered at the time for Crime Watch Daily. That was three years ago. I got a chance to meet the family. And as always, I take these things really personally. I, I try to advocate for... The victims' families, because I feel in the criminal justice system they are the ones who are the most lost. I know, Amanda, that that there are um, you know uh, conditions that are set up to make it possible for them to have their own advocates within the court system, but still, at the end of the day, I feel that they they truly suffer and and don't have a voice.
2: Very true, and you know I've been there where you are right now when you get that call or you get that text to find out that a case has been solved. So, what is this like for you? I mean, you have a personal connection to this case, and I've been there where you are getting that phone call or that text to find out that it's been solved. I mean, how does that feel?
1: You know, Amanda, sometimes you feel like there's never going to be movement on a case, especially when so much time has passed. And what the surprise is oh my God, they actually made an arrest. What is not a surprise is who they arrested, because from the very beginning, Danny Searson, Will's nephew was a person of interest for the LA County Sheriff's Department. He was the last person to see Will alive. He was the last person who was in that house that we know of. So I don't think that that is a surprise. And I don't think it was a surprise for the family as to who they arrested. The surprise is that they actually made an arrest because the family always found it very suspicious that Danny they felt that he wasn't being cooperative or being forthcoming about the details of well what was what did your uncle say did what what was, was he feeling okay did his head hurt i mean all these questions he didn't act they say like the rest of the family did and then so danny who is the person who's been arrested here his father chuck is the brother of 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 the of the victim of the victim the homicide victim mm-hmm. and so you know it's it's like a family divided because right. there's this suspicion the entire time. There's been a suspicion that it that Danny had something to do with it, and the fact that his father then broke from the family, and he and Danny became like like a unit, if you would, separate from the family. And there are six brothers and sisters. I mean that that's a really big family. Uh, so I don't think that it was a shock for the family members because they were always suspicious. Again, what's shocking is, why now? And, and the, the I talked to the cops on the case and they wouldn't tell me what it is exactly that is new, even though they did go back recently with a search warrant and they went back into the house. We don't know what evidence they either gathered or clarified or if it was DNA. Um, it's Because there was blood, Will Sirzan, the victim, there was blood found in his home. And later on we found out that there was his blood in the SUV that his um, nephew Danny was driving. So like, why would that blood be there? But they knew this three years ago, Amanda, but it's right. like, so those- what's
2: new? Right. And, and you know, what's interesting. Uh, and we just recently had a case without a body where somebody was charged. A, a woman who was disappeared from this area. She was a young mother, the father of the children, they'd had a difficult relationship and it turned out he had left and gone to Virginia. And there was some evidence that he had impersonated her through text messages to her family and possibly on social media and maybe even in some phone calls. And so at the end of the day, there was a lot of circumstantial evidence and they were able to make a case against him. It took about nine months to do that. And so in this case, I mean, this is what, three years Um, Mm -hmm. they've got to have some pretty strong evidence to arrest somebody and charge them with first degree murder without a body. So my guess is that there's things that we don't know.
1: Yes. And the arrest warrant is, was, and is sealed. So whatever Mm. details of any new information or evidence that would have made it possible for them to arrest him, we don't know that. Um, What's What's also interesting, and we want to make clear here, that Danny Sirzan, even though he was a person of interest, he is now officially not only a suspect, he has been charged with his uncle's murder, that he is presumed innocent, no matter what the family believes or says, no matter how suspicious the circumstances. And he is now 24 years old, and he would have been 20 at the time that this, he was about to turn 21. Here's what's interesting about his relationship with his, with his uncle, Will. So, he was about to turn 21. Will and his wife, who had been married for like 28 years, never had any children. And so, Will had kind of taken uh, Danny in, kind of as his his own son, if you will. So, um, he was about to turn 21 the following month, and he was going to take him to Las Vegas. And then, on the way back, they were going to stop at uh, one of the other relatives' home, and they were going to have a blowout party for him. So, clearly... Will loved his nephew and was always trying to do right by him based on family accounts. Um, and we know that um, that Danny had challenges. He
2: had challenges I with substance I was going to ask you that. Abuse. I mean, yeah, so he had a history of having issues with substance abuse because it really does sound strange. It sounds like they had a great relationship and it does sound strange that it would have turned into some kind of altercation that would have ended in Will's death.
1: Yeah, so he had, um, he'd been arrested on some drug charges, and the sentence was a diversion program to rehab, and according to the family, Danny did very well. When he came out of rehab, um, he was doing exceptionally well, and then um, he went off to visit family, he came, other family, his mom's side of the family, and when he came back after the holidays, apparently something was off. Now, what that means, I don't know, but he wasn't himself, so we do not know. This is just, I'm sharing with you what the family believes that they, they suspect that Danny may have started using drugs again, but we, ha- we don't know. This is just the family speculation. And, and Will, who is deceased as we believe, even though we, we've never found him, he was concerned and he had shared that things were starting to go missing from his home. Things, um, not necessarily cash, but like gift cards, things that he couldn't quite, you know, it's its the little things that are harder to, right. to put your finger and, on.
2: And things that he might be able to trade or sell in some way to You're be right. able to get drugs. And, and I mean, as you know, a lot of cases that involve people who are substance abusers and, you know, there's a lack of reason there. I mean, they are just they're all about their addiction. And if that is the case, you know. Obviously, people who are in addiction will take anything they can, right, to be able to sell it, to be able to buy drugs. And there's no rhyme or reason there because all they care about is their next fix. And obviously, we don't know that that's what was going on, but obviously, a possibility. And I think what's really interesting is to think of how a 20-year-old could have hidden a body and also hidden forensic evidence of a potential murder in the home if that's in fact what happened.
1: So Amanda, that's an excellent question, obviously. Um, Perhaps surveillance video will help fill in some of these gaps. Mm -hmm. Let's go through the details of Will Searsen's last day as we know it and look at the case from that point. Okay, so Will Searsen was 58 years old, and this happened in Santa Clarita. He'd always lived in this home with his wife. Uh, They've been married a very long time, 28 years, as I said. So um will was semi-retired worked at a gift shop at six flags magic mountain an amusement park out here not far from his house he and linda that's his wife married 28 years no children so um according to the family danny was also a high school dropout so clearly he had been having some challenges in his life and it had really never been that easy for him So on the day that William was last seen alive, he invited his nephew Danny over to watch golf. Uh, Tiger Woods was going to play, and Will was obsessed with golf. So Danny was coming over, and in fact, around noon, the two of them went to the 7-Eleven, and you can see Will Sirazan buying a case of beer. Now, looking back at the struggles that Danny was going through, perhaps that was not the best choice of beverage for his uncle to have made.
2: Yeah, it seems a little unusual if his if he's struggling with with substance abuse obviously. And whether that was for
1: him alone and he wasn't going to give it to Danny, we don't know, but again, looking back on it, it probably wasn't the best choice. Um neighbors security cameras pick up the two of them returning to the house. This is very important. So we we know that Will returned to the house, but we never saw Will leave the house. And this is Very important to the case. So at around four o'clock in the afternoon, Will calls his wife and says, I'm making dinner, which is not an unusual thing. He's putting it in the oven. They talk. Everything's great. At seven o'clock, Linda comes home from work. The food is in the oven. Dinner's in the oven. The dog is alone. Will is gone, but his keys, his cell phone, his wallet, everything is in the house. But there's no sign of Will which is right. very he, he, bizarre.
2: Right. People don't leave that stuff behind. I mean, we all know that, you know, wherever we go, we all have our phones. So that's that's really odd. So
1: that's very suspicious. Will's right. gone. All his personal stuff is there. It's like he just disappeared. So she panics. She calls the police. And she also calls Danny, calls the entire family. And, and you know, Danny says, oh, I left Uncle Will's house at about 1.30. And... Uh, finally, when the police start taking this much more seriously, the sheriff's department, they believe that there's foul play immediately because there were some type of blood stains that were found in the house. Presumably the kind that were cleaned up, but not so well. Now, this is when Danny's story doesn't add up with what we're seeing on surveillance video, which is very important again. So the neighbor's security cameras show that afternoon, remember, he talks to his wife at four. Danny says he was long gone, but at about five o'clock, an SUV that looks exactly like Danny's car, but because of the angle of the security camera, you cannot um, see the license plate, nor can you see the driver, okay? So police can't, say positively that's danny's car but the aunt says that is danny's car because i helped him buy it so So she knows right she knows and this again is a close-knit family the other aunt is helping you know danny buy um a truck so again it shows you how much support there was in this family for him okay so here's what's weird about this amanda at five o'clock you see the vehicle that looks like danny's car backing up into the driveway is only there for a few minutes and then it leaves. And and so you can't see the front door because of the angle, so you can't really see who's getting in and out of the car. And then that car leaves. So that if that's Danny's car, it it certainly doesn't match up with his story, right?
2: Right. And also, I mean, let's face it, if you're backing your car into a driveway, I'm assuming he backed up to the garage, correct? Could they see if the garage was open or closed or could they, they could not, not see that? I mean, I've done stories like this. Again, I'm sure you have cases like this. You're loading something into that car. That's a possibility that he was loading the victim's body into the car.
1: And the family was suspicious immediately. And in fact, later when they uh, searched Danny's car and got a search warrant for it, they found Will's blood in the vehicle, as I said earlier. But that was Mm -hmm. three years ago. I mean, so what's new, right? So what's new? Um, It's very important that the family was very suspicious when confronted with the surveillance video which they were convinced was Danny, the fact that the timeline wasn't adding up, and, uh, and the fact that he was the last person to see Danny alive. So I interviewed the aunt, Andrea Peck, at the time three years ago, and here's a portion of that interview. Danny was
3: the last person that saw him. Danny knows something.
1: Surveillance video from a neighbor's camera across the street shows what happened shortly after Linda spoke with Will on the phone in the late afternoon as he prepared dinner. As soon as I saw
3: that snippet of the video, I recognized the car.
1: Will's sister Andrea insists the SUV belongs to her nephew, Daniel Searzan. But because of the camera's angle, detectives say they can't be certain. The video left Will's family stunned. Everything changed for me at that moment. That's because Andrea Peck claims Danny and his father, Chuck, had both told the family something different.
3: Danny had lied that he would left at 1.30. My brother, Chuck, lied that he came home at 4 o'clock.
1: And if it was, in fact, Danny behind the wheel, Why would he back into the driveway before leaving?
3: The car driving up only implied to me that somebody loaded something into the back of that truck.
1: You think that was your brother, Will? Yes.
2: I mean, it's so hard to imagine, even if you love somebody, that you would protect them in a situation like this. If you thought they were possibly guilty, even if it's your own child. Um, and, and as you said, it really sounds like it's divided this family. I mean, it's very unusual, obviously. Most domestic violence is between intimate partners uh, or even a, a parent and a child. But but a parent um, and a nephew, an uncle and a nephew, that's really unusual. But it's also really unusual, I think, that there are so many people in this family that seem to be turning a blind eye when other people in the family are saying, hey, look at this evidence. Look at what this shows and clearly the police now believe it shows he is the person responsible for Will's death and and i think it'll be really interesting once those documents are unsealed um when we get a look at the the details to figure out what is it that pushed this case over the edge
1: exactly and Danny's aunt Andrea Peck again has mm-hmm. said all along along with other family members that something in Danny changed right before this the family members had noticed a change in his behavior or personality that of course is not enough to incriminate someone for murder, Mm -hmm. but it it, it's, it gives you the totality of the picture. So um, now since then, Chuck, who is Danny's dad and Danny have been completely estranged from the family. And uh, the only contact has been that they, the two who are kind of, you know, suspected here, if you will, by the family, uh, would just text a happy birthday here or there, but they they didn't they stopped going to family gatherings. It's they've completely been isolated. Also, each has obtained an attorney, and the aunt said to me that whenever anyone in the family would question either one of them, they'd all they would both say we have an attorney and we've been told not to talk about this. Now, don't you think that's a little weird within a family when someone is missing?
2: Right. I mean, that's an easy answer. I think that's what a lot of people do in criminal investigations is they put it on the attorney. Versus saying, hey, you know, this is ridiculous. This isn't true. Um, I always believe that if you honestly didn't do something, you would be shouting it from the hill. Um, I don't care what anybody says about what lawyers tell you. I think at the end of the day, if you are not guilty of the crime that you are accused of, especially a violent crime, especially murdering somebody. I think that you would tell anybody who's willing to listen that, hey, that is not... Um, that's not true. I didn't
1: do it. So they stopped talking to the family, and they weren't getting any answers. And I wanted to try and get some answers from both Danny and Chuck. Now, remember, at the time that I um, was staking them out, this was three years ago, Danny was a person of interest, and his the only reason I wanted to talk to his dad is because the family thought the dad might know someone no no something excuse me so um i tried to track them down i staked out their home for several days and here is a clip of that interaction hey daniel crime watch daily caught up with both men at their home daniel i want to talk to you what happened with your uncle will but he was in no mood to talk quickly tearing out of the driveway well that was daniel and like father like son. Chuck, could we talk to you please about your brother Will? Chuck, your sister says that she weeks you no know more. With both Danny and his dad going silent, the family can only speculate about what may have happened that January afternoon. Andrea Peck claims her nephew has led a troubled life since dropping out of high school.
3: I think, unfortunately, Danny got involved with some gang activity. He got involved with some kind of drugs. I think that they might have gotten into an argument. It either was something to do with uh, drugs that Danny was dealing with.
1: Police confirmed to Crime Watch Daily that Daniel has an arrest record on drug-related offenses.
3: When he came back, my brother, uh, Will, talked to me early January and said, Danny's a little distant, Danny isn't, something's not right. And so he was going to get to the bottom of it. And I never heard the rest of that. And then your brother disappeared. Then my brother disappeared.
1: Amanda, I I really want to talk about this, the the chasing of people, because... um, Yeah, you know, I, 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 I called the True Crime Daily folks last week when the arrest happened and um I said, please let's get the original investigation back up again. And I was reading the comments and, and people were um complaining about my my chasing uh these two. And I really want to say something about this. I really want to address this because it's it's very personal to me. You know, when I take on a case, I always pro- I always promise the family that I will do my best to get you answers. I I can't promise you I'm going to solve this, make it better, but I do promise I will do everything I can to get you answers. And part of that means if there's an identified person of interest or a suspect in a case, that I'm going to go after them for questions. And everyone says, oh, well, why do you bother? Because they're never going to stop and talk to you. Well, most of the time they don't, absolutely. But sometimes they do, and you don't know... You don't know what that particular person is going to do when you show up to ask them some very reasonable questions. Okay, in this case, because of the location, the way it was set up, the the fact that I could only go so close, sadly, by the time they got in their car is when I was able to run up to both of them. Um, obviously, they didn't stop and had nothing to say, but sometimes people do, and they totally surprise me. Sometimes people invite me into their house, and I am right. astonished at that.
2: I am too. And, you know, a lot of times we have these conversations in our newsroom. Oh, don't go, don't bother going to knock on that door. Nothing's going to come of it. And, you know, sometimes, like you said, people invite you in, you sit down, they don't always go on camera, but sometimes they give you valuable information about the case. And I do think one of the other sides to this is that we have an obligation to do everything we can to contact everyone involved in a case. And, you know, you can say, well, I, I called and left a message or I, I texted them or I, I messaged them on Facebook. But, you know, in all honesty, until you, what I call, put your foot in the door, literally put your foot in the door and said, hey, wait a minute, just give me five minutes and they can see your face and they have an opportunity to see you as a human being and not as just somebody they can, you know, blow off. Um, you haven't really gone there. You haven't really gone all the way to try to contact someone. And I think it's part of. The obligation of of a journalist is to try to get in touch with everybody in the case and everybody has a right not to talk to us. And that often happens. But like you said, it also often happens that someone invites you in and may or may not go on camera, but they may give you really valuable information that you can share with your viewers or your readers if if you're in print and, and allow you to further that case and further that information for the public.
1: When I uh, spoke with Andrea, the aunt yesterday, and I told her we were going to do a podcast on this um, and update the case, I said to her, I'm just curious, was there any fallout after I chased Danny and I chased um, Chuck? And again, Chuck has never been a person of interest. That's just the dad. And she said, you know, we didn't hear from them, she said, but the family was so grateful because what you did was you reminded them that the pressure is still on that this case is not solved and people want answers. So from the family's perspective for them, it was helpful. Now, I also believe, as I always say with some of these cases, especially with the cold cases, when I go in there and I upset the apple cart, as I say, banging on doors, knocking, leaving my business card, half the stuff you never even see on camera, really, the stuff that, you know, that goes into an investigation. I firmly believe that a lot of that stuff, especially if the person is hiding a secret and is involved, it just undoes them. Not always. Mm -hmm. And then you can, like this happened in a case that I covered in Florida, 17 years, a cold case. I went over there, I started banging on doors. And what I didn't know was I upset the apple cart so much that the two people who ultimately ended up being charged started coming undone. One ends up kidnapping the other one because they're having a domestic issue. Wow. And then bingo, the floodgates open and now we have admissions of guilt. The body's finally found. I mean, and that's the thing. When you go banging on the door or you chase the car, you don't know what's going to happen.
2: I mean, it's the same concept of, you know, somebody's arrested and the police maybe are walking them from the vehicle to the jail and reporters are running around and we're all saying, did you do it? Did you do it? Well, I can tell you that every once in a while, you know, the suspect will answer you. Um, and so it, it's worth making that effort. I, I think the, the, the concern of, well, they're just going to lie. I don't think that should be our concern because our job is to let people say what they want to say, to put it out there and then the public can decide, well, is this person credible? Is this person telling the truth? So I think it, it would be like saying if you are a prosecutor in a case, well, oh my gosh, the defendant is taking the stand on his own behalf, but I'm not going to ask him any questions because he's going to lie. You want to ask questions because your goal is to, as you said, kind of unravel this. And if there are lies, if there is a lack of credibility to, to put it out there and let in a criminal case, let the jury decide, or in the case of what, We're talking about here. Let the viewers decide, you know, is this person credible?
1: So now Danny has, um, well, he's been arrested. He's sitting in the Men's Central Jail, which is in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, He has a court date coming up on the 24th. Both his aunt Andrea and Will's wife are going to go because on the 24th, he's going to enter his plea officially. And I just said, my God. That's got to be so painful. You're going to be in a courtroom watching a child that you helped nurture to grow up who is, who is charged
2: with killing your brother. Right. And I don't know California law that well. So um, this is a question maybe you can answer. In North Carolina, if somebody is charged with first-degree murder and they don't have a body, sometimes the family will say, we want the remains of our loved one that's so important to us that we're willing to support some kind of a plea deal. Is that something that you could see happening in this case?
1: Uh, Andrea and I actually talked about that on the phone. I said, um, you know, what do you want here? And she says, well, obviously, she said, we're never going to bring Will back, so we want justice for Will. Mm -hmm. And I think for the wife in particular, she actually, even though her nephew is charged with murder, she is not accepting that her husband is dead because she says, until Mm -hmm. I see the body, I don't believe it. So I do believe that, look, at the end of the day, if Danny did somehow kill his uncle, I think that if they can find him, have peace, know what happened, I think the family could live with some form of justice because I think they believe in their hearts that Danny didn't mean to kill him. They Mm -hmm. are convinced that whatever happened... And we don't know, but this is from the family's point of view, that whatever happened had to have been an accident and was not premeditated. So right. they, they have some compassion in their hearts for this boy. Uh, and clearly they know him. So um, mm-hmm. they know whatever circumstances were going on in his life that do not excuse murder. So I find that very interesting. And um, we'll see what happens. Uh, he's being held on $2 million bail. What's also interesting is when I talked to the detective since he wouldn't tell me like what's new I just said, "Okay. Um so what about his father? I mean, do you do you suspect do you think that his father Chuck may have had anything to do with it or or helped him?" And of course, Chuck Searzan is not a person of interest, a suspect right. hasn't been charged, but this is what the cop said to me. He said, "Well, he hasn't been charged yet."
2: Right. And I mean, obviously, if you do anything to aid and abet somebody who has committed a murder, its accessory after the fact to murder. Whether you drove them somewhere or you picked them up from somewhere or you just know about it and you're, you're hiding that. I mean, that's, that's a crime. So obviously that's something the investigators will definitely want to be looking at, I'm sure.
1: I think finding Will Sirzan and finding out what really happened to him will go a long way towards helping this family heal.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. I'm doing a podcast right now on taking unidentified remains here in North Carolina. We have 123 cases and the state's just gotten a grant to do this very high level DNA testing. And we have several cases. I mean, they've been solved 10, 20, 30 years later where somebody's remains are found. They're sitting at the medical examiner's office and nobody knows who they are. And then they do this testing and they do some of this forensic genealogy and they're able to solve these cases, not always bring somebody to justice, because often the person that committed the crime is now dead, but they're able to reunite these families with the remains. And I can tell you that it's, it's very emotional. I mean, I, I talked to a woman the other day, she had a funeral for her sister 37 years after her disappearance, because they were finally able to confirm her remains. So I, I can't imagine being in that situation, but I know that it would bring a lot of relief to that family to, to find him, I'm sure.
1: Yes, I know. So having gotten the chance to get to know them. Mm -hmm. Our next case is equally perplexing. Why was a professional poker player killed? 33-year-old Susie Zhao's body was found badly burned in a parking lot near a recreation area near Pontiac Lake in Michigan. Now, that's about 45 minutes from Detroit. Susie, who was known in the poker world as Susie Q, had even played in the World Series of Poker. So in that world, she was well known. Her body was found on July 13th. She was so badly burned, Amanda, that it took investigators a week to even figure out who she was. Mm. And they did it based on her fingerprints. That's how they were able to identify her. She was sexually assaulted with a large object. Um, her hands had been tied. Uh, they think uh, she was somehow dragged and and then set on fire. Oh, it's it's just a horrific crime scene, and someone who was just going for a walk in the park actually discovered the body. And those are I wow. always wonder about those people. Like, how do they manage after seeing something so horrific?
2: You know, I, I can't I can't imagine. And you're right. I mean, in almost every case when a body is found, it's found by a regular person just walking their dog or something like that. So that is, that is horrific. Now at first, and what I read, it sounded like it could be a random crime, correct? But now we're learning more. Yes.
1: Although it's still perplexing to me, right? Mm -hmm. So an arrest has been made like, well, in when she was initially found, they thought, oh, she's a famous poker player. So maybe the reason she was killed had something to do with that. I mean, that's a tough world, right? You know, people right. get mad. You win, they don't win. It's not. It, it it's a business, but it's not your typical business. So that was the initial thought: is like, oh, this had to have had something to do with the lifestyle or or her business. It did not. It it's kind of random, but not. You know, there, there's been an arrest in this case, and the link between the two is what I don't get, Amanda. So they arrested a man who has been described as a transient, but he is also a registered sex offender with a long, you know, rap sheet. 60-year-old Jeffrey Morris. They charged him with her murder. He's being held without bail due to the severity of the crime and his long criminal history that goes back to 1989. And I would say if his long criminal history is so horrendous, why was he out in the first place?
2: I mean, and, and right away, when you hear the person who's arrested and you hear about her, you think, well, it had to be random because why would a 33-year-old rising star in, in this particular world, this niche world, be involved with this 60-year-old man who obviously has had a very difficult life and they wouldn't have anything in common. Um, but now we know more. I guess, because they've revealed some of the details, I guess, from a search warrant, correct?
1: Yes. So um, here's what's weird. So Susie had moved from L.A. back to Michigan about a month ago. Uh, That's where her mom lives. And uh, some people said that she was having some struggles. We do know that COVID-19 shut down all sorts of uh, gambling So if she was making money as a poker player, that just was not going to happen during a pandemic. So you could read into that that financially things were not great. And so she moved back home, as a lot of people do. And apparently she liked to stay at this particular motel, the Sherwood Motel in Waterford Township, which is just a few miles from Susie's mother's home. Okay. Also apparently staying at that hotel is the man accused of killing her. Now, this is where things get really confusing for me because according to published reports and the motel owner that Susie checked in on July 9th, she checked out on the 12th, we believe, and excuse me, on the 11th, but on the 12th, Morris checks into the same room, okay? Mm. Now, that is not, if that started as coincidence, it did not end as coincidence.
2: Right, it sounds very strange. And then there was also something in the search warrant if I'm not mistaken, about a phone call between the two, that there was a documented phone call. So
1: his, Morris's cell phone number was in Susie's cell phone. So one would say, what in the world mm. would these, you asked, what do they have in common? Now I would right. say, no, wait a minute. Having somebody's number, that's a lot more personal. That's not a random thing. You give someone your phone number, right? right. Okay, so now we know something is going on um and when he finally gets arrested uh now we know according to court records he gave one version when he got arrested and the court records suggest something else so he said yes she was in my motel room but um she left and that she took all her stuff with her and that she left at midnight but according to court records Her cell phone shows that her cell phone, at least, was in that motel room until 5 a.m. And then surveillance video from the area shows that Morris, Mr. Morris, left at about 5 a.m., went to the park where her body was found, and he was seen there and stayed there for about seven minutes. Well, I suppose you could kill someone in seven minutes, but my guess is he probably and he's you're charging this-
2: someone, right. right. You're, you're, you're more likely in seven minutes dumping a body than you are killing someone and leaving them there. So, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's very strange. I mean, of course, the first thing that comes to mind, and, and we, we don't know anything right now, is that did she have a substance abuse issue and was she meeting him um, for drugs? I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind because you wonder... Again, like, what in the world? I mean, even just looking at the pictures of the two of them. I mean, she was a lovely woman. um, And a young woman. Yeah. She Uh, was in her 30s. He was 60. I mean, yeah. Looking at their pictures, you think there is no universe at all in which these two people would come together at a hotel room. Certainly not for a romantic encounter. It doesn't. I wouldn't imagine. Um, I don't know yeah, it's hard to say. And so then you start to go to the, ne- the next layer. What, what, what could possibly be, be the reason they connected? And so I think it will be interesting maybe when and if her family comes out and talks to find out, you know, was she dealing, was one of her issues, was she dealing with any kind of substance abuse problems? And did she interact with this guy um, for that reason? And then, you know, he was obviously, if he's in fact the person who did this, a very dangerous person.
1: And, and if that's so, she would have been in a pretty low place herself. And here's mm-hmm. a man who is a convicted sex offender who is about to take advantage of a woman who is in a very vulnerable and low place, which is exactly mm-hmm. what these predators do. He told the police when he was arrested, um, that he went out to, you know, buy some beers or whatever and that they had them back at his room. I again, have a hard time believing that she would want to mm-hmm. hang out with him unless for whatever reason she didn't have any money left and needed to stay there for a while. Again, I don't get it when your mom lives a few miles away. I would think that that would be a safer environment. Um, when when he was arrested uh, on the side of the interstate when they pulled him over, he had a duffel bag. And in that duffel bag, according to police, there was a bloody sheet And there was a wooden baseball bat with a blood stain on it.
2: None of that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds like very strong forensic evidence, potentially. Um, And, you know, one of the things I think it's really important to note about sex offenders, I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who feel like it's unfair to have people on a sex offender registry. But if you talk to people who profile sex offenders, they will tell you that those people have probably offended many, many more times than they've ever been charged or convicted. So putting someone on a sex offender registry in many cases is an alert to the public. Hey, this is a person you need to be careful of. And chances are there would be no reason in this encounter, whatever this was, that she would have checked that. But I think it is something that as women um, as any, anyone needs to know if you're dealing with somebody in a very intimate, isolated situation, you probably need to check your sex offender registry because you need to know who you're dealing with.
1: If they tell you the truth about who they are, right? If they even give you their true name, um, you you know, uh, I, and I don't know in a situation like this. Um, this is also interesting. When he was pulled over on Interstate 275, he was taken into custody, but he apparently had to be taken to the hospital because he was suffering from some kind of, they won't tell us what the ailment is. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what was wrong with him. So he's actually taken into custody, taken to the hotel, and he was actually arraigned in his hospital bed. So he didn't get away with that. And we don't know whether he's in the hospital or he's still, um, or whether he's been moved to a jail. It's its so, so very bizarre. Now the, is, mot- yeah. the motel owner says that he didn't see that he didn't see Susie, you know, with the suspected killer. Uh, we don't really know that much about her other than I mean she had a very active social media because you know she's kind of like if you're in that world. In fact, if you Google, if you Google her, this case. And you do, don't generally find murder cases come up on all the poker websites, right? right? Her case is of great interest to people in the world of poker. As we said, she was in the World Series of Poker. She made more than $200,000 playing poker, but that was also a long time ago. It right. is a lot of money.
2: It's just not enough money to live on. from Because it was, what, 2012 was when she made that? I don't recall, I but it, it was, was several
1: yeah. years ago since right. she had made that kind of money in poker.
2: And, and, you know, it's interesting when you think about people who are famous in something like this, a very niche industry, um, you know, they may not be rich. We, we look at them and think, oh, they're on TV, they're on social media, you know, they may, they may not be able to pay their bills. I mean, because that money doesn't necessarily stretch as far as they need it to. And no indication from anything I've read that he was involved at all in the gambling world.
1: No, uh, I don't think so. Like, I mean, I guess you could say it's like, oh, my God, if you find someone who is like a professional poker player and you love to play poker, if you could convince them to play a hand of poker with you, you would like be crazy happy. Right. But we have no indication that that's what was going
2: on, that he, yeah, I, he, yeah no. A lot of questions so. here, a lot yeah. of questions. I think it's, it's going to be one of those cases that, you know, as more is revealed about how they connected, I think, is going to be the thing that people really want to know.
1: Absolutely, here's a little bit more insight into him. Although um, these comments, you know, they do fit his profile, but they're not surprising. A local couple um, said that they had taken the defendant in, um, and that they had he had been renting their basement. And the landlord, the former landlord said, I rented it to him for about four months. He seemed like a real creeper and I had to get him out of here. So I evicted him. Mm. He was a
2: sick man. So right. So right there, there are other people who are recognizing things about this man that you would hope somebody as savvy as she was would have recognized. So it's a question again as to what was going on with her that she somehow you know didn't realize this guy had all these issues so it is
1: now time for our comment section these are the crime stories you all are talking about so um, a set of california twins has been accused of swatting staging bank robberies to record prank videos for youtube well they have finally been charged and um let's just say nobody's finding this very funny so the twin brothers Alan and Alex Stokes. They're 23 years old, very popular, have a YouTube channel. They're accused of staging these fake bank robberies in Irvine, which is in Orange County, and causing a poor, innocent Uber driver to have been held at gunpoint because the police actually believed that the poor guy was involved with this. And he had no idea what was going on. And if you've seen the video, it's so ridiculous because, you know, they're dressed in black, their heads are covered, they're um, overacting as they're running. And, you know,
2: it's bank crazy. robberies are a
1: huge issue in California. Right. That's I mean, a they're, huge,
2: they're a huge issue everywhere. And in my opinion, you know, if you do something that looks like a crime and you're running down the street and you've got a fake gun and you're dressed, dressed the part, I mean... I don't know whatever happens happens. I mean, you, you can't you can't um do something that looks like a crime and then just say, "Oh, I'm sorry. It looked like a crime, but it wasn't really a crime because, you know, if you're law enforcement or you're a witness, you don't know what's happening. It looks real to you. Um and so I I, I kind of think this is another example of social media in the hands of children. I mean, you know, you got to have some common sense. You know, if you want to act and do something that is artistic, uh, you know, don't do it. Don't do it in front of a real bank. Don't put other people at risk. I mean, just whatever you do in life, just don't put other people in the crosshairs. It's pretty simple. Um, And and, this is
1: really dangerous because if the police indeed believed that a bank robbery was going on, these two idiots
2: could have been shot dead. Oh yeah, you're going down. I mean, if the cops come, yeah. So, and again, I mean, I just always go back to, it's fine to be funny. It's fine to be artistic. Don't put other people at risk. I mean, just don't do that. That's wrong. That's just wrong. Um, oh, absolutely. You so, know, And so, yeah, it's, it's just silly. I so
1: they called an Uber. They called an Uber as part of this prank. And at first, the driver refused to pick them up because, you know, he was a little concerned. He wasn't sure what was going on. Sketchy. And then, right. So so then a bystander thought that the twins were actually trying to carjack the poor Uber driver. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? What was no. this poor guy thinking? And this, hours- is re-
2: this is recent, right? I mean, this oh, happened. Yeah. yeah. like, Like, we don't have enough issues. Like, we don't have enough going on in the United States right now that you're going to do something this crazy. I mean, just again, just don't put other people at risk. It's, if you're impacting other people, like, think before you do something. If it's going to impact somebody else negatively, don't do it. That's what your mom would tell you. And I'm a mom. Don't do it. Don't do it.
1: <laughs> well, they apparently had quite a, um, a day about it because it wasn't just the bank. About four hours later, the brothers tried the same hoax on the campus at UC Irvine. So now, oh yeah, oh yeah. So it's not like they learned from anything in the morning and were scared. They probably thought, oh, this is a good one. Uh, The -hmm. brothers face one felony count each, a false imprisonment. That would be for the Uber driver, I think. And then a misdemeanor count of falsely reporting an emergency, also known as swatting. Now, we had a huge problem with swatting in the L.A. area a few years ago, and a bunch of people thought it was really funny to pretend to be calling in um, all sorts of crimes, Uh, Mm. one for the fun of it, and two for the diversion, so something else could be happening next door. Um, And the, the cops and prosecutors really started cracking down on it. So we haven't really had... Uh, a big swatting case in a while and this one's this one's a big one so the yeah question i've never is, heard of that term that's that's new to me welcome to los angeles yeah the nutty life that we live <laughs> yeah.
2: well and it's like it's just like again i mean i'm sorry we don't have enough going on in the world right now that you need to divert uh resources to something silly like this when you know there's real stuff happening and people need help so i don't well, know i think i just
1: I think you are in agreement with many of the people who commented. Tan G writes, the thing some will do for likes, I will never understand. Honestly, I mean, it is giving them some more fame, but at what cost? Uh, Kathy M writes, I never like pranks. They are not funny. I'm kind of like with you. I don't like hurting people. And mm-hmm. Randall M writes, I hope they go to jail. Anybody else would. Got to agree with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it could have really ended badly. And Mm -hmm. so, it's a good thing that it didn't, um, but it could have. And and you just don't ever want to put other people in harm's way just for the sake of a joke. It's just, it's not a good idea.
1: Now, for some reason, sticking with both YouTube and California, we're having quite an event of it here in the state of California. YouTuber Jake Paul's California mansion has been searched by the FBI. I don't, it's like... (gasps) Home alone. No, no! <laughs> uh, the FBI served a search warrant at the Southern California mansion of controversial influencer, right? These <laughs> Jake Paul. The affidavit in support of the search warrant has been sealed by a judge, and I am therefore prohibited from commenting as to the nature of the investigation. No arrests are planned. That is what the FBI said. So that's kind of weird, isn't it? It sounds so like he's no, had some controversy though, right? I mean, he's not, not without controversy. Right. But like, okay, so they serve a search warrant and no arrester plan. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that that's true. Or, right. And we don't know why the search warrant. So, uh, yeah, it's it's like everybody went crazy in LA. I don't, I don't know what's going I, you on. You
2: know, here. and it, I really had to learn. I have a college age daughter and a high school senior and they've, really schooled me on why these people are famous for nothing. I've never heard of it. I didn't know about it until a couple of years ago. And they started to share that with me. And I guess he got famous on Vine. Um, and then, of course, that's defunct now. So obviously, right, you know, YouTube is the thing. But it, it's really interesting to me how how these people get this incredible following. And yet, they're in no way a mentor. I mean, they're, they're not doing something amazing that... That, that people should be saying, wow, this person's a role model. But unfortunately, if you're famous for anything these days, people look to you as a role model. So you kind I of have disagree to think with, about...
1: Honestly, Amanda, I have to disagree with you there about the okay. role model thing. I really do. I think that that's how we used to think about people who yeah. were celebrities, that they, that they had to, with celebrity and fame, came some responsibility about being right. a role model. But I think... Um, the changes within social media and the fact that people now become famous um, or influencers, depending on what they do for other reasons. I do not believe that we can tack on the responsibility
2: of role model. I just think, I just don't think it applies. Oh no, I agree with you that we shouldn't look to them that way. I guess they just have such a reach. I mean, they They have have influence and with young people um, who are looking at this stuff and they think somebody's amazing? Um, you know, it, it, what they're doing, whether it's, you know, criminal or not, whatever they're doing, if they're sharing it on social media, I mean, young people are watching it and looking at it and thinking, oh, well, that's cool. Well, maybe I should do that. So, you know, I do think uh, there's some of that happening. I, again, I agree we shouldn't ascribe it to somebody. Um, any more than we should say, you know, an actor or a musician, unless they are involved in some kind of a social issue, we shouldn't say that, that they need to, you know, stand up and, and be a role model. But it is interesting. I mean, who knows, who knows what they were searching for. And And for them to say there's no not going to be an arrest. It, it's kind of confusing right and of course i would say who cares uh, but, <laughs> but okay. nonetheless I was, gonna, I was gonna say that but you know that's again, just me like i'm really, showing my i'm showing my age yeah i don't like really, i really don't
1: yeah. i really don't care you commit a crime then i'll be interested because that's yeah. what i do for a living so I these are just never
2: some heard of him until i read the, until i printed the article
1: so never heard of him but i were not, not sure in his demographic yeah.
2: yes exactly okay so exactly. Steffi
1: l writes probably Probably Prob is what she writes. Uh, Prob set it up himself to film for YouTube. And you know what? Yeah, I would Mm -hmm. believe that, that he probably called himself in for something or another. Um, And I also think he's been having some massive parties that have been really upsetting the neighbors. I mean, there's a lot going on. Or
2: masks. That's one
1: of the things I read. Yeah. And it's also possible that maybe one of the neighbors, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, Gaila S. writes, he's such a punk bingo gala (laughs) and on that note we shall end this podcast amanda thank you so much for coming on this week we really enjoyed it where can people follow you on social media or you know just find out more about you
2: gotcha so they can follow me on twitter at a lamb so l-a-m-b just like mary had a little lamb uh they can follow me on instagram at w-r-e-l amanda lamb and also They can follow me on Facebook. I have a fan page, W-R-E-L, Amanda Lamb as well. And if they look me up, my books are all on my website. They're all on Amazon as well. And it's alamauthor.com.
1: Excellent. And you can always find me at Anna with one N, Anna G News on all social media platforms. And as always, you can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Of course, on YouTube. And you can get updates by subscribing to our newsletter at TrueCrimeDaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do
2: crime.